On behalf of my bishop and myself, we just want to greet you all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we are continuing uh, our theme for this month. You know that we said for the next three years, we will be focusing on these three words, grace, growth, and Let's go again. It's what? Grace. Grace, growth, and gratitude. So I felt very strongly that these are the three areas this year, for the next three years rather. We'll talk around that and we will look at different sides to it. And uh, for this month is grace and we're focusing mostly on walking in the fullness of the spirit, which we believe comes by the grace of God. And so our subtopic for today is quench not the spirit. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, quench not the spirit. Yeah, yeah. Quench not the spirit, but fan into flame. And I'm using a very short passage of the Bible, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. It reads as follows. Quench not the spirit. The New King James Version says, do not quench the spirit. The King James says, quench not the spirit. Let's give you a bit of a background about this passage. We do know that Paul is the author of the, this book to the church in Thessalonica. And he wrote this book around 51 AD. Uh, many believe that this is among the first books or the earliest books that were written by Paul. At this time, Paul was traveling around, came to Thessalonica as an apostle with a team and they came to this church and founded this church. And you know, it's amazing when you work for God and when you do anything that, I mean, even if it's not necessarily a church thing, oftentimes when you start any project, program, you just never know how it's going to turn out. Certain things, you have everything in order and everything where it should be. You start a project and it doesn't go anywhere. Some places you haven't planned so well, you know, you start a project and things work out well. And it was the story here in Thessalonica. We do know, of course, that uh, Paul had come from somewhere. I don't want to go into those details. But when he came to Thessalonica, this church that they founded grew rapidly. Not only did it grow, but many of the people in Thessalonica went to some of the surrounding provinces to promote the gospel. You'll find that in Acts 17, verse 2. However, during this time of great revival and a move of God, a disturbance arose. There was persecution. There was a lot of challenges that the church experienced because I was telling them in the first service, never ever be confused when challenges come, even if God is moving. When you read the Bible, you'll note that God's move seems to coexist with trouble side by side. And a great mistake is to stop when challenges come and we make an assumption that God is not at work. As a matter of fact, the church is at its best when it's experiencing problems. The power of God is even more when we are in weakness. Paul says, when I'm weak, then I am strong. And so the church experienced a lot of disturbance. And as a result, the missionaries were chased out, or rather they had to leave Thessalonica and go to other cities. And in the process, as we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul made an attempt to come back to Thessalonica, but he was blocked. 
And what I like about Paul is that he is very single-minded in what he wants to do. You know, there are certain things when you try and do them, first time around, they don't work, all right? Because there's all kinds of problems. And oftentimes, we kind of confuse the challenge that we experience as we try to fulfill vision with the fact that what we're trying to do is not God's will, you see. You know, uh, hindrances, problems, and challenges are not a sign that it's not God's will. So what Paul did was, as, as much as they had thrown him out of the city and he was blocked from coming back, he came up with plan B. Look at him and say, neighbor, you need to have plan B. You know, you know sometimes you need to, to have plan B. Yeah, you know, sometimes when you are trying to go somewhere, it does, it's not a straight route. You know, like right now, you know, try to drive somewhere, you know, and uh, Google Maps shows you it's 53 minutes. You get on the road and all of a sudden it starts to tell you to recalculate and turn around. You know, and you start going over and you go this way and that way. You make detours. But finally, Roswika, you know what I mean? Finally, you get there. You know, the, the fact that you made detours doesn't mean you're not going to get there. And some of you are getting discouraged in your vision because it didn't work out first time around. Oh, well, second half. Particularly, Orlando Pirates, the second half of a sharp. Second half. And so that's what Paul did. Instead of, you know, giving up on the vision and saying it's not going to work, he wrote them a letter. All right? So he writes this letter and he, it gets delivered because his concern is that the, the Christians in Thessalonica are still new converts. They are new believers that come from a background of paganism. They were doing all kinds of things. And now he's not there to mentor them, disciple them, and teach them. He's been thrown out of there. He's very concerned. But in writing to them, he is very intentional about what he says. He starts out in First Thessalonians chapter 1. You read from verse 6 to verse 10. He starts out by saying, you guys, you became imitators of us as of the Lord. He reminds them. He says, the Lord's message among you rang out even from among you. You took the message beyond the borders of Thessalonica and your faith has become known everywhere. And you turned from idols to serve the living God and the true God. And now you are waiting for his son from heaven, whom has, he has raised from the dead, who rescued us from wrath. And so Paul is really encouraging these believers because he had to leave Thessalonica abruptly and these believers are facing persecution and all kinds of things. So there were four major themes in Thessalonica, if you want to write them down. The first one was he is writing to encourage these new converts in their trials. That's in chapter 3, verse 3 to verse 5. He's encouraging them in their trials. Number two, he's giving them instruction as well concerning godly living. This is in chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 8. And then thirdly, he's urging them not to neglect daily work. You know, in chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. And finally, he is... You know, honorable speaker, these people like a barre ho. Ketale paisa Anyhow. Okay, so where should I go back? Which point? Number two? Ah, oh, you are still in number two for it. Yeah, man. All right. All right. Let's go to number two. Number two. Number one. Chineke. Hey. Okay, let's start. 
Paul is writing the letter, number one, to encourage the new converts in their trials. That's number one. So you find that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 to 5. Number two. Number two. <laughs> he writes this letter to give instruction to them concerning godly living. All right? So you find that in chapter 4, verse 1 to 8. Number three. Can I go to number three? Yes. Yeah. Oh, Lord, have mercy on this sheep. Number three, to urge some of them not to neglect daily work, which is uh, Acts chapter, f I mean, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. And number four. Are we together then on number four? All right. To give assurance to them concerning the future of believers who die before Christ returns. We read this verse a lot at uh, funerals, you know. First Thessalonians 4, verse 13 and 15. To give assurance concerning the future of believers who die before Christ returns. So in summary, in summary, Paul's letter is one of warm encouragement it's one of restatement of many truths which he had already taught them. All right? But then in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, which is our main text, he says to them, quench not the spirit. Very interesting the choice of words that Paul is using. Because oftentimes when God teaches us, he always tries to go to the natural, the mundane that we know. See, the only way for God to teach us spiritual things is to liken them to natural things that we know. So he's using this analogy to say and to infer that the Holy Spirit is like fire. But of course the, Spirit, the, the Bible does present the Holy Spirit as a flame. Let me give you an example. In Isaiah 4.4, it reads, When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and purge the blood of Jerusalem from a mist by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Know that. And that spirit of burning, fire like fire burns, refers to the Holy Spirit. You remember what John the Baptist said in Matthew 3, 11? This is what he said to the people of the day. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals are not worthy to carry. Note, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. All right? So when, when Paul says, quench not the Spirit, it's like when you quench the fire or when you put it out. Now, Acts chapter 2 will make sense. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, that's verse 1, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them, what? Cloven tongues like as of fire. And it set upon each one of them. So the Holy Spirit, therefore, manifests as fire. So fire, fire. There's an element of truth. All right? The Holy Spirit manifests as fire. Now note, in the natural, we know the things that fire does. It brings heat. Light, fire is a source of power, 
But fire also can bring destruction. Okay? So, the fire of the Holy Spirit, therefore, warms our hearts, enlightens our mind, empowers our spirits. And Paul says, don't hinder that. Don't hinder the effective working of the Holy Spirit. Don't diminish this fire. Don't snuff it out. Don't resist it. So it means the Holy Spirit can be at work among us, but he can be opposed by believers. And this is what Paul is warning against. Don't quench the Spirit. As we said, he's using this picture of the Holy Spirit as fire and saying, let you quench. And that word quench that he's using there, it simply means to extinguish, both literally and figuratively. Don't extinguish the Holy Spirit. Well, we know there's other passages wherein this practice of extinguishing the Spirit, in inverted commas, did happen. Or it is alluded to. Or extinguishing the fire is alluded to. In Matthew 12, verse 20, we note it talks about uh, the, uh, a, a, a weak flame being put out. That's Matthew 12, 20. By the way, this is a quotation about Jesus Christ from Isaiah 42, verse 3. Write it down. Secondly, we see in Matthew 25 the story of the ten virgins, five of them who didn't take extra oil for their lamps, and because the groom took long in arriving, their fire was quenched. So their fire went out. That's another example. We also hear when Paul talks about the quenching, this principle of quenching, thirdly, in Ephesians 6.16, 6, where Paul says, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So the quenching there talks about extinguishing, like when you take cold water and throw it over. And Paul says, don't quench the spirit. Now note, don't quench the fire of the spirit because the Holy Spirit in our lives brings purity, power, light, warmth, and if necessary, destruction. It's important. When the fire of the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, in our churches, we will have the purity of holiness. Write it down. The power to tread upon serpents and scorpions. And the light of revelation knowledge. And the warmth of the love of God. Let me say that again before you go, woo. When the fire of the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives and in our churches, we will have the purity of the holiness, the power to tread on serpents and scorpions, the light of revelation knowledge, and the warmth of God's love in our lives. So it means by us, as much as the Holy Spirit moves among us, as he has done this morning, it's not the end of the story. It has to translate in lived life. It has to translate in the way we carry ourselves. See, we can't just have the Holy Spirit manifest within the four walls of the church where it matters the most, really, is in how we live our everyday lives. See, being a believer is not a coat that we wear, that we pick up in the morning at the gate of the church, put it on, 
behave like a believer, and when we leave, leave it at the gate and go out there and behave like the devil himself. How we live, we live the way we live because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as he guides us to live a Christ-like life. And Paul says, don't extinguish the Holy Spirit. Don't quench him. Don't stop him. Don't oppose him. Don't say no to him. Respond to him. So let's examine these four things. Purity, power, light, and revelation. All right? Number one, we need to live in the purity of holiness. Now, this is very unpopular. Now, I know. I'm not saying we should live in the purity of perfection. None of us is perfect. But remember, when we become followers of Christ, there are certain practices that God expects us to abandon. Look at the name and say, why are you not saying amen? No, amen, no, no, Now, ututs. Romans chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. Paul, a born servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. Know this. When you read the story of the early church, and when you look at the Old Testament, God has always required of his people to live a certain kind of life. Certainly not to be isolated or to behave as holier than thou. But that we are followers of Christ and believers in Jehovah God. There's got to be a way we live. There's got to be a way in which we carry ourselves. Yeah. Really, the, the trueness of our Christianity is not in the cross that we wear on our neck. Or the attire that we wear. It's not that we come to church on Sunday and sing and jump around. It's in how we live in our homes every day. It's in how we treat our neighbor. Really, the gospel at its best is lived out where the rubber meets the road. It's not lived out in a, in a, in a, in a sanctuary. It's lived out every day with someone that you work with, the neighbor you live with, the husband you live with, the wife you live with. Yeah, your girl child, how you treat them. Your parents, how you treat them. As a minister, how you treat your congregants. That's really how we live. And holiness, by the way, doesn't mean ngwele ngwele, glossy glossy, shiny shiny. <laughs> but the word holy simply means separated. Not isolated, but separated. Let me explain to you. Let me explain to you what the difference is. See, when athletes know that they are going to uh, engage in performance or they're going to compete, for instance. They start a regiment of training that reflects the goal they have to win. Okay, they start eating certain types of food. So if you go to them go McDonald's, they don't eat what you eat. Not because McDonald's is wrong. Mara, McDonald's is not going to help them. They want to have whey protein right? If they're a boxer, they will either do road work in the morning, the late baby Jake Matlala, I talked to him, and I remember he was telling me his program. He said, when I'm going to have a fight, I, three months before my fight, I start preparing myself. I, he says, I'd wake up in the morning, I do road work, five in the morning, you see him running the road, when we are sleeping and snoring. 
Come on now, you see now, now, now doesn't mean he is, in other words, what he's doing is different to what everybody else does who doesn't have that goal. He still comes and sleeps in the same house with us. Mara, his behavior is different to the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. So he does that and then he said, after I come back from running on the road, uh, he'll go to the gym. Actually, I used to work out in the same gym that he used to work out. That's many years ago, okay? <laughs> I'm not doing it anymore. When I was younger and more handsome. <clears throat> yeah, but uh, so was so. Uh, <laughs> so I used to meet him there and so he used to work out then he works out and then he used to tell me the diet that he ate hey hey he has to load up on this and eat on this and this and, and protein and, and whatever and then he told me to watch the fight then like three weeks a month before the fight you know even his marital rights he abandons them <laughs> now we're in church we can't be graphic it's PG-13 okay so his marital rights so when you are having fun with your wife, you're not going to want to shame. Because he has got to have a little bit of testosterone in him. You know what I mean? I know church people, when I talk like this, you want to say, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm trying to be nice and not graphic in any way. And then he says a week before, this is what he does. And I mean, not only did he go to the gym, he has to go for sparring lessons. He has to go and box. There's all kinds of things. Now note, the way he carries himself, huh? he is doing differently to the rest of us. He is not isolated, he's just separated. Yeah. And that's what the Holy Spirit will cause us to do. When the Holy Spirit comes upon your life, he'll talk to you about unforgiveness. He'll tell you, no. When the other person wants a revenge, the Holy Spirit says, no, forgive. <laughs> uh, he, he separates you. And the Bible says, we've got to live in holiness. Now we all know the areas that God is dealing with us about. So Paul is saying, if God is dealing with you about an area, don't put out the Holy Spirit. Don't throw cold water. Don't sing song the Holy Spirit. Because it's different things for different people. We don't all have the same challenges. There are certain things that are a real problem for me. But my problems are not the same as your problems. Everybody must know, and you know, if I go there, if I do that, it's going to quench the Spirit. Secondly, the second thing we need when the Holy Spirit comes upon us is to bring to us the power to tread upon serpents and scorpions. Somebody say power. power. Look at the neighbor say power. power. Now Jesus says this in Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give unto you. Can I hear the word? Uh, I can hear you. I give unto you. Power. I give unto you. Power. I give unto you. Power to do what? To tread on what? Serpents and scorpions is figurative language for demonic power. Evil powers. You know, there's, there's all kinds of powers. There are powers out there that are meant to harm us. And to cause destruction in our lives. He says, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions. And I like the next word. And he says, and, says, and over how much? How much? All the power of 
the enemy. And then he gives you an assurance at the end. He says what? What does he say? He says, and nothing shall by any means. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. See, when the Holy Spirit is in our lives, he gives us power over serpents and scorpions. Demonic powers. As a child of God, you should never be afraid of demonic powers. Never be afraid. No, not because of who you are, but because of the greater one on the inside of you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, not because of who you are in yourselves, but because of this power that Jesus has given us. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Number three, the light of revelation knowledge. The light of revelation knowledge. If you don't say amen, the children will say amen for you. The light of revelation knowledge and walking in the truth by practicing God's word. Now let me, let me explain this to you. You know, we, we need to understand by so God's word much as we understand it with our minds. But the, there's a point where God has to open up that truth to you. So that it becomes a living reality. A practical reality. You know? You know? Because you, you, you can know all the verses in the world and never live the life. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It takes God's word. You know, I, I tell people, and, and, you know, I'm not in any way saying anything against any church. Ne? Let me say it like our, our sisters and brothers in, in, in Zim. I'm not saying anything against uh, anybody. Okay, I'm not saying anything against, against anybody. I'm just stating a point. <laughs> I went to church, my mother told us, my late mother told us, we went to church since I was six years old when I went to church. So I've been in church a good part of my life. <laughs> Almost all my life. <laughs> but you know, much as I went to church and I was very faithful in going to church, and I remember as a nine-year-old, you know, when our, and, and we had an incredible church. I tell you, my goodness, our pastor, the late uh, Reverend Ntwani, he would preach that man. And, you know, in our church, uh, the practice was after preaching, they would say, How many of you remember that? And that's a good thing. And you could tell from Baba Bedi who are calling Katapelo, that the sermon was powerful. Because you'd hear in the prayer. And I remember as a nine-year-old, oftentimes I just felt this tug of God in my heart to give my life to Christ. I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand what it was. And I can guarantee you, had that been done, I would have come forward to receive Christ. So, you know, I grew up with a consciousness of God and a consciousness of right and wrong and the fact that my life is really not right before God but I just didn't know how to sort it out as a good church goer but I hadn't received Christ as Savior and Lord because you see when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus who was a, a leader in the church he said Nicodemus you must be born again It's not a term that we came up with as charismatic Pentecostals recently born again. Jesus started it. And so Nicodemus says, but how how can a man who's my age go back to his mother's womb and be born the second time? And Jesus says, no, I'm not talking about natural birth in forward. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. Something must happen in your spirit. 
when you give your life to Christ. I didn't know that. But by the grace of God, as you heard a few weeks ago, 5th of August, 1978, that's when I heard preaching from Youth Alive, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. You know what was funny? On the day when they were preaching, there's not a single verse that I didn't know that they were preaching. I knew all the verses. But this time around, what was preached, I could apply. Ah, you're not hearing me. There was a revelation. It was like somebody opened the curtain. The very thing that was there all along. Because you see, if you, if you go to your house and open, open the curtain and you see through your window a beautiful garden on the other side, you know, that garden didn't come when you opened the curtain. The garden was there all along. It was just that it was veiled from you. Listen what Paul says. Listen what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.6. He says, 2 Corinthians 4.6, he says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made the light shine in our hearts to give to us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Then later on he says, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to them who are perishing, whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who believe not. See, so when the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives, the very Bible that we just read and talk about becomes a living reality. You begin to experience being born again. You begin to experience walking in the anointing of God. You begin to experience speaking in tongues. You begin to experience the power of God and the authority of Jesus Christ. And Paul says when God is tugging you along and is pulling you to an experiential knowledge, don't say no. Don't quench him. Some of you today, we're going to give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ. You may not fully understand what I'm saying, but there's a tug in your heart and the Holy Spirit is pulling upon you and God's saying your life needs to be right. And when you're given an opportunity, don't quench the Spirit. Don't say no. Can I hear a good amen in the house? Can I hear a good amen in the house? Number what? Number f- eh? Is it number four? Serious? Number four, the warmth of God's love in our hearts. The warmth of God's love. So first, the purity of holiness, the power to tread upon serpents and scorpions, the light of revelation knowledge, and the warmth of God's love. Note by Hesu. See, the work of the Holy Spirit, according to Romans chapter 5, the Holy Spirit is the one who sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. Remember Hesu. You all know that there are four kinds of love or four types of love. And the love that the Bible tells us to apply and to have, among other loves, is the love agape. The agape love is a love that loves in spite of, not because of. The agape love is a love that looks as a person as valuable and precious and loves them. This is the love that Jesus says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. He didn't say by choruses. He didn't say by the name of your church. He said, by this love shall all men know you are my disciples. It is the same love when Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, even if I can speak in tongues of men and of angels, but if I have not love, I am like a clanging cymbal. It is a love that he describes where he says, love doesn't judge. Love believes the best of every person. This love is not haughty. 
This love forgives others. This love doesn't take any account of wrongs done to it. It is the same kind of love that God loved us with where John says, whilst we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. It is the same love in John 3.16 for God's soul loved the world that he gave. This kind of love gives. It's a giving love. It's not a love that waits to be given. It's a love that initiates the giving. Even when it gives, it doesn't expect anything in return. There's no human being who can love like that. No, we don't have that capacity to love like that. But Romans chapter 5 says that love has been shed abroad in our hearts. Now watch this. Watch this. Anytime we violate that love, the Holy Spirit in us will tag us along and say, don't do that. I don't know if you've ever been there in a situation where you got into an, an, an argument. Okay, I know now you don't argue, you're Christians. All right. How do we put it? A robust engagement. Let's not call it an argument. You know, we don't argue with our wives, my brother. We just have a robust engagement with our wives. Have you ever been there where you got into this tussle? And as we say, you, you told them and gave them a piece of your mind. Anybody? And when you are saying it, you really, you really let it all hang, man. I mean, I tell you, you told them. And, and, you, and you were feeling it, man. You were pumping. I mean, you were really, hey, you were there. And you walked away from the situation and then at night when you tried to go to bed, there was kind of this voice out here and a discomfort in here that said, that was not right. How many of you remember trying to justify yourself? No, Mara, they deserved it. And then said, no. <laughs> am I talking to real people in the house? Am I, am I, am I talking to you? You couldn't sleep, you were turning and tossing. You know why you were turning and tossing? You were trying to quench. You wanted the spirit to keep quiet. You stayed on your case. And you only got relief when you went to the person and said, look. I'm sorry. <laughs> So in other words, the Holy Spirit is there in guiding us to live this Christian life. Because you can't live for God. You can't live a separated life in your own strength, in your own power. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, don't quench the Spirit. Tell your neighbor, don't quench the Spirit. Say it again, don't quench the Spirit. Now, quite interesting, as much as I've applied this verse in a generic sense, Specifically when Paul talks about quenching the spirit, in this instance, much as it applies everywhere, he was talking about the practice that these people had in church services. These believers who were going through persecution and struggle, difficulty, and they were really having a rough time. When they met together, evidently, it looked like the Holy Spirit would move among them like he did among us. And in the moving of the Spirit, there would be prophecies, tongues, and interpretation that would come. And so Paul writes, no, instead of stopping that, watch this, instead of quenching that, rather test all things. Look, he says it, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. 
test all things and hold fast to what is good. The message Bible reads, don't suppress the spirit and don't stifle those who have a word from the master. Wow. On the other hand, I like the balance. Don't be gullible. Check out everything and keep only what's good. Paul is aware that when the Holy Spirit is moving, there are times when people will go to extremes. And that's our problem as human beings. We, we, we kind of find it hard to keep the road in the middle. We are on the one extreme or on the other extreme. And Paul says, instead of stopping everything because some people are going to extremes, rather check everything, right, and use what's good. This is apparent in the rest of his writings. When you read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, Paul, in addressing the church in Corinth, which had the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit, including prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. There are some who had moved into fanaticism. And because of that, Paul writes, he doesn't stop them. Instead, he says, he, you should yearn for the gifts, long for the gifts. But then he argues, instead of quenching the spirit, check everything out, examine what it said, that it's done by the word of God. Instead of discouraging the operation of the spirit, in the book of Corinthians, Paul says in, in chapter 14, rather let everything be done decently and in order. Note by so, the move of the spirit is something that God wants us to experience. There's nothing wrong in the Holy Spirit coming upon us. And of course, there are certain things that may happen when the Holy Spirit is manifesting that might not be really what I like. But as long as everything is done decently and in order. So Paul is exhorting these believers to allow the operation of the manifestation of the Spirit without it being quenched. But then he warns them in substituting that with access or substituting that with a mechanical order of worship. See, if we dot every I and cross every T, and we are rigid in church, and we don't allow the Holy Spirit to work, then we quench the Spirit. So it means even when the Holy Spirit wants to give expression, we quench the Spirit. So we shouldn't quench the Spirit by not allowing prophecy. Secondly, we can quench the Spirit by our refusal to respond to his prompting. In other words, when the Holy Spirit is prom prom prompting us and talking to us about a word spoken, temper indulge, something we did where we don't love somebody and we show revenge or we, 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 we run against somebody or we gather and talk about somebody and you feel bad, you walk away from that conversation where you were scannering about somebody. And you are feeling bad on the inside. And the Holy Spirit says, don't do that. Now note, if you continue to quench him, he will withdraw his influence. He won't leave, but he will not push as hard. And as a result, our hearts will be left in a state of hardness and finally darkness. Where in the words of Paul, we move to a place where we have a seared conscience. Watch. See, people who are so-called hardened criminals who go to CMEX prison, that's not where they started. These people had to be coaxed into being like that by 
committing acts that were smaller than acts. But the more they did wrong and they didn't feel bad about it and they continued to do wrong, is the more their heart got hardened. We must be careful to look after our hearts because there is a certain threshold that the heart of a person can take. There are certain things that may not seem wrong when you do them, not because they are not wrong, but it could be maybe the tolerance level has changed. In the same way that we older people drink hot tea. Because our palate has gotten used to a certain temperature. Children cannot drink that temperature. You have to cool their bottle, give it to them because their palate is still tender. They are at a stage that we can call the stage of innocence. Biggest problem in our lives is when we lose our innocence. You can lose your innocence as a pastor. Where you start doing things in church that are not right. Where you start relating with young girls in an inappropriate way. When you do it first time, because your palate is still tender, you don't like it. But if you go back to it, this time around the tolerance level has changed. Because our conscience is like has a thermostat. You can adjust the level of tolerance. And finally, a person gets to a point where they do it even without blushing. They can lie and not blush. They can kill and not feel anything. They can embezzle their church's money and not feel anything. They can sleep around with the women in the church and not feel anything. It didn't start there. And Paul is saying, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, listen and obey, lest you adjust your tolerance level. Because that certain things, even when you watch, don't bother you anymore. Certain sites on Google, when you visit, don't bother you anymore. If that certain music and certain practices don't bother you anymore, Doesn't mean it's right. Just means your tolerance level. What it means is that, therefore, don't live your life by somebody else's tolerance level. Oh, yeah. Quench not the spirit. Number three, we quench the spirit by our refusal to obey. In other words, when God speaks to us, we need to obey. In Genesis chapter 1, Verse 3, God said, my spirit will not strive with men forever. See, when God gets to a point and he says, look, I, I, I had something from one preacher that scared me years ago. It struck me. And he said this, you know, sometimes, I don't know if you've been there where you want to do something and God says no. You pray about it, it says God says no. You say, no, he's my guy. God says, no, he's not your guy. He's my girl and God says, not my girl. Mara, because you like his dimple. Come on now. Because you like her looks, you know. You keep on pushing and pushing. I, I didn't know this. He said, the one person who was counseling, who did that? 
Finally, got, they got married and it was just a disaster. And they broke up. And, and when he canceled this guy, this guy said, but when I started, I, I wasn't, no, he was canceling the lady. The lady says, I, in my heart, I just felt he's not the one. Mara, Mara, I, I like this hunk. How many of you are sitting next to a hunk right now? No, 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 no. No, no, no. <laughs> and, and this preacher says, as I prayed for this girl, he says, he said, I was very confused. And he said, the Lord said to me, she pushed so hard that I just allowed her. No, no, this is why when you read Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. These are, these are, these are the stages. There's the perfect will of God. You are in the sweet spot. Mara, there's this acceptable, Lord. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes God can allow things. Because remember, God never forces anybody. If you keep pushing hard enough in the wrong direction, God will let you. But it doesn't mean it is his will. Just means the tolerance level has been adjusted. And it says here in Genesis chapter 6 verse 3, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. God says, and so when Paul writes in Hebrews 3, he says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Some of you, you've had an opportunity to give your life to Christ more than once. Today should be the day where you say, you know what? I'm not hardening my heart. Because if you harden your heart and harden your heart, you get to a point where it doesn't matter anymore. Let's close. How then do we stir up the spirit? Because in the book of Timothy, Paul says, stir up the spirit. Instead of quenching the spirit, how do we fan into flame? How do we cause the spirit to burn more in our lives? Number one, pray in the spirit or pray in other tongues for extended periods. How to let it be 30 minutes unbroken? Go to entry level. Go 101. Go Now, let me use this analogy that I used during the week. Now, Please, let's understand this. It's not a matter of just praying long for you to have the, the pride to tell people I pray for three hours, four hours, five hours. That's, that's, not, that's not the purpose. No, 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 no. It doesn't benefit people. It benefits you. Let me give you an example. There's a difference between running half a kilometer every day, right, to be, let's make it one kilometer for your health. And, and running 10 kilometers. You know, you know what you experience when you are running for a kilometer? You, you do experience something. Mara, it's not the same as if you had to run 10 kilometers. You see? So the same applies to spiritual things. When you pray long, it's not a mistake when we read the Bible and we find that Jesus prayed the whole night. And even on the last day before he was crucified, 
His disciples couldn't, they never asked us that mean. Look at the neighbor and say, I'm going to bishop of God. When he came back and found his disciples pray, sleeping, you can tell by implication he had been gone for an hour. He said, couldn't you wait with me just for an hour? One hour. One hour. One hour chance. I don't know what he would say to many of us here. <laughs> that he went back three times we can Maybe draw a parallel. We can make an assumption. Probably prayed for three hours. But Jesus used to pray the whole night. If Jesus, the son of God, who was perfect, Jesus, the son of God, who had no sin like us, Jesus, the son of God, who was full of the Holy Spirit without measure, we are filled with the Spirit by measure. If he could pray the whole night, before he could choose his disciples, how much more should we pray when we have decisions to make? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No wonder his disciples of the many things they asked him, the one major request they made is teach us to pray. I mean, they didn't they didn't say teach us to do miracles, they didn't say teach us to cast out demons, they said teach us to pray because they could draw a parallel between his prayer life and his amazing life. And I and I and I believe your prayer life if it goes up to another level, God will begin to do things in your life. Can I hear a good amen in the house? Yeah. But I want to pray for a long time. I was sending them in the first service. I've read many biographies of many women and men that God has used over the years, all over the world. One of the things you cannot ignore about these women and men is their prayer life. They had an incredible prayer life. They prayed a lot. I mean, we used to know Dr. Cho, the late Dr. Cho. You know, Dr. Cho used to pray for eight hours every day. Yeah. Eight hours. Yeah. Eight hours. Yeah, you know, you know. I mean, some of us after eight minutes we run out of what to say. Can you imagine eight hours? But I want to pray in the spirit for a long time. We learned this with my friend Kenneth Makopo when we were at Bible school, you know, 1980. We decided both of us were going to learn to pray for four hours. You know, you know there are certain things you do them because of chanchello and mlandla. And when you are supposed to do it, it's all around because now. And I remember he, he, he liked to pray in the evening. You know, he's always been a night person. I've always been a morning person. So he would pray from 10 o'clock until about 2 in the morning. I'd pray from 3 o'clock until 7 o'clock, you know. And then say to mother, we won. There's no music, there's no keyboard, there's nothing. It's just you. And it was something. I tell you. And you know what I learned? And I saw with Ama 2000 when we had prayer here, you can see when people don't know the. The, 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 the way to pray long prayers or pray for hours. It's, it's almost like someone who doesn't know how to run a marathon. You know, when, when they get and run a marathon, they buy, buy, buy polaisa. This is a marathon. Yeah. So, you know, people don't know how to pray long. When they start, after 15 minutes, 
<laughs> After an hour, they're sleeping. <laughs> God, <laughs> speaking to the Lord in dreams and visions. But nevertheless, <laughs> my friend Kenneth prayed so much that I remember he would come back and he would be asleep at two o'clock. But then as I woke up at three, I'd hear him praying. He was sleeping and but praying. So seized by this, so full of the spirit that even when he was asleep, he was praying. In the morning, I tell him, Munna, you were praying, I now I was sleeping, you were praying. So taken by it. And I can, I can tell you, Bayesu, to be honest with you, I thank God for those early days that laid that type of foundation. Because, you see, when you get to certain levels of praying, there are things that begin to fall off your life. There's an openness to the Holy Spirit that you begin to have. So, if you want the Holy Spirit to work in your life, spend time in prayer. Yeah. Try to have a whole night prayer by yourself. You know. And when you pray, I advise people, don't get into a comfortable space. I don't know. Some of you are able to pray in bed. I can pray in bed. I, I think a bedroom is, 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 you know, is not a place to pray. No, no, no. I know you don't have sanctified mind, some of you. God help you. But I'm just saying, for me, I just have to go to an, an uncomfortable place. Get out. If I'm too comfortable, I end up sleeping. But spend a lot of time in prayer. I would challenge you. Spend a lot of time in prayer. Number what? Huh? Number two, instantly obey the instructions of the word of God and be a doer of the word. That's number two. I'm closing in a short while. Instantly obey the instructions from the word of God and be a doer of the word. See, the Holy Spirit works with the word of God. In Mark chapter 16, it says, and they went everywhere and they preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. See, anytime we do what the word says, the Holy Spirit will always be there. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who is responsible to confirm the word. Number three, instantly obey the word-aligned leading and prompting of the Spirit. What do I mean? When the, when the Holy Spirit prompts you and you sense that the Holy Spirit is leading you, make sure it lines up with God's word. I had such an incredible story uh, during the week that was right amazing, amazing, amazing. These two uh, ministers of the gospel, they've both passed now. God used them incredibly, both of them. One was from the UK, one was from America. The one from America was like half the age of the one who's in the UK. This guy in the UK, never married, he was a bachelor, was traveling the world to preach the gospel. And God had told him that you are going to beat a young man who is, God used the words, not from the UK, used the words foreigner. I'm sorry to use it, but that's what he said. And, and, and these are the words he will say when he meets you. You know, these are the words he will say when he meets you. And then there was this young guy in the US when he was uh, 18 years old. 18 years old, eh? God spoke to him. You're going to meet a man when you are in your 20s. And when you meet him, you're going to partner with him and both of you will preach the gospel around the world. And these are the words you must say when you meet him. 
Yeah. You know, in these days where we can contact each other easily with cell phones and so on, I think sometimes we miss out on some of these incredible things that God can do. Back then, there was no email, there was no cell phone, there was nothing. No way they could have known. And so one day, they happened to be preaching in the same conference, and they were introduced by someone else, and when he saw him, the spirit in him said, this is the man. So when he went to meet him, he just said those, uh, in inverted commas, magic words. And both of them connected in the spirit. As a matter of fact, I was listening to some of their teachings, you know, some of the teachings they were given. Incredible. Incredible. Listen to this carefully by his. When the Holy Spirit tells you to go through one door, many times there are many other opportunities outside. That's what most people don't know. One obedience to the Holy Spirit can lead to so many things. But most people don't know that. They don't understand that if they obey the Holy Spirit, so instantly obey when the Holy Spirit is leading you. And finally, refuse to be a passive believer, but one who is fully engaged. Don't be passive. When the Holy Spirit is moving, don't be passive. When the Holy Spirit is prompting you, don't be passive. Refuse to be a passive believer. Sometimes people become passive and, you know, we, 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 we hear what the Spirit is saying, but we don't move, you know. Or, or we just act like we are, we are half dead and we are passive. Instead of being passive, be aflame with the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. We are so thankful, Lord, that the entrance of your word brings light and gives understanding to the simple. Our prayer, Lord, is that we will not quench the spirit, but rather we will be responsive to the tugging of the spirit, and we will fan into flame that which you've placed upon our lives. We will fan into flame the Holy Spirit to light up the areas of our lives, make us walk in purity, power, light, and revelation. We pray, Father, that you forgive us where we haven't responded to you, where we quenched you, and we didn't obey. We pray that you'll forgive us. And even as we pray this morning, we make this commitment to you. We will be responsive. Will you raise your hand, uh, please, everybody, just one hand, and say, Heavenly Father, the name of Jesus, I will be responsive to the tugging of your spirit, to the leading of the spirit. Will you join your hands with your neighbor and say, Lord, I pray for my neighbor right now. I pray for them that they will be responsive to the tugging of the Holy Spirit. Just begin to pray for them right now in the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Pray for them. Pray for them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we will be responsive. Thank you that we will not harden our hearts. Oh, Malia le rive rive mas. 
Thank you, Jesus. Come on here and hold it this day. Thank you, Lord. Just pray for them. Pray for them. I pray your grace upon them. I pray your love upon them. Oh, God. The name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Eshada Mahama. Thank you, Lord. Say it again. Heavenly Father, we refuse to be passive, but we will be fully engaged in the name of Jesus. All right. Keep your heads bowed. You can let go of your neighbor's hand. Your heads bowed, your eyes closed, please. If you're here today, and even as I was preaching and talking about my own experience as a young man, went to church, did everything right, but there was an emptiness in my heart. Your story might not be exactly the same as mine, but nevertheless, in your heart of hearts, you know there's something missing. You may not know how to describe it. You may not know how to explain it. But in your heart of hearts, you want God to help you. You want Jesus Christ to come into your heart. Maybe you've been invited or you've come on your own. Could be your first visit here. Might not even be your first visit. You may be even a member of the church. But you haven't really had that encounter. As I was talking about Revelation, you realize that you may know the scriptures in your head. You may rattle along the verses with your mouth. But that real encounter of being changed by the power of God is not what you have. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, you are there and in your heart of hearts, you can sense the Spirit prompting you. You can sense in your heart that, you know what? I need to get matters right with God. May I ask you, instead of quenching the Spirit, will you respond today? Because I want to invite you. I'd like to lead you in a prayer. I'd wish for you when you leave this place, something will have happened in your life. God is the one who listens to those who ask and who long for him. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed. If you say, please, I need prayer. My life is not where it's supposed to be. I need God's help. Would you please pray for me? If that is you and you need the prayer, right where you are, would you just raise your hand, please, so that I can see it. I want to pray with you. Thank you for those hands all over the place. Raise it without shame. Raise it without apology. God is aware of it. It is him who changes who transforms our lives. Thank you for those hands. God bless you so much. May I ask all of you who raised your hands, would you please kindly stand on your feet right where you are, please. If you raised your hand, please stand on your feet right where you are. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. God bless you. God bless you. This is what it's about. It's about our lives being changed and transformed by God. Hallelujah. 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 All right. You know what I want you know what I want to do? 
I want to pray with you as I said. So I'd like to invite you please just to take all your belongings, your Bible, your bag. Don't leave any of your belongings behind and just make your way to the front all the way. Come stand here facing the stage so that we can pray together. Come on. Come, let's pray together. Give them a hand as they walk. Give them a hand.